Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hey there, Gary Parrish. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. If you're watching on YouTube, smash the like button like you're Brandon Davies. You have consent. And if you haven't yet, subscribe to the CBS Sports College Basketball YouTube channel. Please go ahead and knock that out while you're here. Okay, let's get into it. West Virginia has officially handled the Bob Huggins situation tied to the Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame coach earlier this week using a homophobic slur twice live on radio. No termination. He will continue as coach of the Mountaineers. His punishment is a three-game suspension, sensitivity training, and a $1 million reduction in salary down from $4.2 million per year to $3.2 million per year. West Virginia also made it clear if he ever says anything like this again, he will be terminated immediately. Dead leg. Does the punishment fit the crime? It's pretty It's pretty expansive. Now, it's light on game suspension, um, but on the whole, with, with everything that's been taken into account here, uh, one, I'm not surprised he wasn't fired. I did not an- I did not anticipate he would be fired. Just in tracking the story on Monday, then into Tuesday, uh, and then here into Wednesday, there's a lot. Uh, it, it's quite clear, judging by the release that West Virginia put out from its president uh, Gordon Gee and then the AD Ren Baker, uh, that a lot of consideration went into everything with this. And I'm happy to see at least that this does not appear to be shallow words in damage control. You know, this doesn't appear to be let's spin it as best we can. Uh, I'm going to read directly from the statement real quick. GP just said some of the stuff off the top, but I think some of this stuff here is, is among the most important. Then we'll get into Huggins and and how we even found ourselves in this in this situation uh, from the statement from West Virginia. And this is from the president, uh, Gordon Gee. It is also a moment that provides the opportunity for learning, a moment that can shine a light on the injustice and hate that often befall the members of our marginalized communities. While the university has never and will never condone the language used on Monday, we will use this moment to educate how the casual use of inflammatory language and implicit bias affect our culture, our community, our health, and well-being. To begin, the athletics department will partner with WVU's LGBTQ plus center to develop annual training sessions that will address all aspects of inequality, including homophobia, transphobia, sexism, ableism, and more. This training and programming will be required of Coach Huggins and all current and future 
athletics coaching staff. Next, according to the Williams Institute, West Virginia has the highest percentage of transgender youth in the nation. To address our concerns of our West Virginia youth, Coach Huggins will be required to meet with LGBTQ plus leaders from across West Virginia with guidance from the leadership of WVU's LGBTQ plus center. We want to partner with ACLU West Virginia, Fairness West Virginia, Morgantown Pride, and other organizations to elevate the conversation regarding the issues that affect our state. Through those conversations, we expect Coach Huggins, in accordance with these partners, to engage in additional opportunities to show support for the LGBTQ plus community. There's more. I won't continue to read the entire statement. I thought this was extremely important. Huggins is also going to donate to Xavier. In addition to making uh, anti-gay homophobic comments, you know, the, he, he did also make, you know, comments, uh, you know, uh, against uh, Catholicism and Catholics there. And, and the, uh, the backdrop of him having coached at Cincinnati and just, just I still can't believe we're in the situation in 2023 talking about a situation like this. But yet here we are. Um, Huggins is now going to go from to from a multi-year contract down to a year by year. And he is he is getting a million dollars chopped off his salary. This was a no brainer. I said it on HQ earlier in the day before his official. I'm glad to see it. That money is going to be used directly to uplift and and benefit these organizations that is specifically in the LGBTQ uh, plus community, uh, which is very nice to see. Huggins had a long statement. uh, says, I have no excuse for the language I used and I take full responsibility. There were cries for him to be fired. There were cries for him to resign. Uh, I don't necessarily disagree with those uh, on face value. But I do think what we have here is a genuinely, Gary, it's a genuinely great opportunity to take a horrible situation and actually provide tangible learning steps moving forward and not have this just be, man, Huggins said that one awful thing. Remember when Huggins said that thing? And then, you know, a week goes by, months go by, and everyone's just kind of forgotten about it and whatever. No, this can actually be something that can be used to positively impact members of a marginalized community at a time when obviously, uh, you know, very inflammatory speech and hate crimes and hate speech. You know, anyone listening to this podcast has to be all too aware of just how that, how the temperature in the uh, proverbial room has increased and not in the right way, uh, particularly in the past few years. So I think that West Virginia on the whole handled this, about as well as it could have shy of actually severing from its alum Hall of Fame coach who is quite obviously in the winter of his career. What are your thoughts on on what West Virginia put out here on Wednesday, GP? Okay, as you're talking, a few things occur to me. One, you called me Gary. I don't think I've ever heard you call me Gary. That's incorrect. I've clearly called you Gary before that's your name. But normally, it was, it was you perish. Yes, it was. Star- it was. It, it was startling to me. I, I, I don't remember. I'm usually GP or perish to you. That's true. And so, I'm and, and you rarely call me Matt. But yes. But you know what? Yeah, Maybe on some level, because this is a very serious topic, and so I went first name for for the. Understand. Okay, that, that makes that, sense. That might have been yeah, a um, Yes. Yeah, like as I was making notes, because um, we will talk about some other serious things later. Um, I made. I actually put a note in my file. Don't call him dead leg. That might seem inappropriate in this moment. So, or or inappropriate. You already at the top of the show. So yeah, here we go. Yeah, no. I meant as I'm 
as I'm getting into the Denny Crum part, don't say, "Hey, yeah. leg, what do you think about Denny Crum?" You know, just like keep yes, it. The man is actually passed. Yes, that is a good idea. You'll be, you'll be, you'll be Norlander when we get to that part. A um, couple of things occurred to me. I, I don't. Uh, you don't normally call me Gary. That stood out. The other thing is that I just realized you and I have not talked about this yet at not. all. Okay, so I want to take this in chronological order, like in the ways that it happened, because this all happens a couple days ago, and it's like, what? Because I had some people, like the audio starts circulating on Twitter, and I ain't saying nothing about it. And most, I don't think you said anything about it. And I don't think most people who cover our sport had said anything about it, tweeted anything about it. And I started, I don't know what your mentions look like, but people started tweeting me. Like, uh, oh, so you're just going to ignore the Bob Huggins? I'm not ignoring anything. Here's the truth. I don't know if that's real audio. Because, like, what? Like, are are we sure that's actually Bob Huggins? I mean, I know it sounded like it. Or is it uh, somebody impersonating Bob Huggins, getting one over on some local radio guys in Cincinnati? You know, that is a thing that happens sometimes. Somebody just randomly at the golf course the other day told me they heard that a fake Tucker Carlson called into Alex Jones and had Alex Jones tricked for like 12 minutes thinking it was, I don't know. I don't live in that world, but like those things do happen. That's what, that, they, they, so I w- first thing I wanted to know, is that really Bob Huggins? It, then of course we get confirmation that it was. And I write the column that I write. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, but when I tweet the column, I don't remember the exact wording, but it's something like Hall of Fame coach Bob Huggins went uh, on live radio in Cincinnati and said a homophobic slur twice. Why? And then like, there's something, boom, 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 boom. And then my mention started getting people responding to that why in the most simple, simplest, incorrect way. It was like, I know why, because he's a homophobe. That's not what I meant. For the sake of the conversation, let's let's just say that it, it seems obvious that hugs does use that word in his day-to-day life or that's not a that ain't the first time that words ever come out of his mouth i bet it's not the first time this year that words ever come out of his mouth he was clearly comfortable saying it It was not a slip up he said it intentionally he used that word intentionally what i meant when i asked why is like what led to him saying those words not his core beliefs but Even somebody who is an actual homophobe knows that you can't go on live radio and say that word without consequence if you have something to lose. Like, I guarantee you Bob Huggins is not – if, for the sake of the conversation, you want to label Bob Huggins a homophobe, fine. I bet you if he is one, if he is that, he's not the only famous person who is. Probably not the only famous basketball coach. Who is? I guarantee you there's a leader of a prominent American company right now who you could reasonably label as a homophobe. Here's my point. Even that person knows you cannot go on live radio and say that word or you will lose your job. So what I mean when I say what, why, how, I don't mean like where does this isn't Bob Huggins sitting in his garage talking to his buddies. He's on live radio. So what led to him being so comfortable to say this on live radio? And I still don't know that we have an answer to that. Do you have an explanation for that? No, we don't have an answer or an explanation to that. Um, so let me so let me say this. I, okay. I, I think it's, it's got to be one of two things. Mm-hmm. The first one is obvious. He had been drinking and he was a little loose with his words, a little too comfortable. Th- that is, as a drinker, I can tell you from experience, when you are drinking, um, you, 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 you might take a conversation, a place that otherwise might not go. You might take a situation to a place that otherwise might not go. 
alcohol does a lot of things. I personally enjoy it. But have I ever said anything while drinking that I would not say if I were sober? Of course. And to be clear, I don't mean gay slurs or racial slurs or anything like that. I just mean like slightly inappropriate stuff about, you know, like just or things that I wouldn't normally say to somebody, but I'm saying it to them now because I've been drinking. So the obvious explanation, or at least one of on the list of things that this could have led to this moment is like he had been drinking. The other one is he didn't know he was on live radio. He simply was not aware um, either that he was, they were putting him on live radio or that he was on live radio in that moment. You go on radio shows all the time. I host one. I go on as guests. Sometimes a host will talk to you off the air. I don't do it because I don't like to do it. I don't want to talk to my guests until we're live on radio. If only because uh, I don't really see any point in it. I don't need to. Um, but, but other hosts do. Like I can tell you a producer will call me. This is a very normal thing. Producer will call me and say, hey, uh, is uh, now still a good time for you to come on the show? Sure. Appreciate you having me. Okay. The host wants to yell at you real quick before we come back. Okay. Patch them in. GP, hey, so off the record, let me ask you about this before I get you on the air. Are you comfortable answering this question? Whatever. So these types of things happen. And then he goes like, all right, thanks. And then I can tell you there are certain times where then this host will ask another question. And it's like the totally the type of question they might actually ask me on air. And I answer it. And in that moment, I'm like, are, are we on or not? Are we still off the air or are we now on the air? I'm a little confused. That happens in radio. And so I wonder if that was a factor here if he simply didn't know he was saying what he said on live radio as much as he thought he was saying what he said privately to to two buddies what do you make of that uh both of those either of those could be true both of them could be true at the same time it could have been scenario that's, that's the other thing they could both be true correct and uh having heard from people in the basketball community um that has been obviously an immediate topic of speculation which also doesn't necessarily reflect well on bob huggins either as an aside oh by the way but uh he may he you know the ad ran baker there was some sort of golf event happening he might have been on the course when all this happened whatever obviously the fact that he said it is is atrocious and the the path that got him there yes there's a curiosity in terms of how that happened uh but it doesn't matter he said it it was caught and 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 absolutely he's deserving what's coming his way i will say on this whole general topic that's happening this feels like something out of like 2002 like the fact that this happened and a coach said this over the air in 2023 is mind-blowing to me mind-blowing okay bob huggins still has all of his faculties all right and go ahead well, th- that's what I mean. It, like, so sometimes you can rule out things just because you know that's not what really happened. So I don't know what the actual explanation is, but Hugs has been speaking publicly for four decades. All right. He's never done anything like this. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think the one thing you can rule out is that he knew he was on live radio and he was completely sober and he said what he said. There is no way that's the truth. No way that's the truth. It reminds me a little bit of what I used to say about Rick Pitino at Louisville. There is no way he knew those sex parties were going on in that dorm. Because if he did, at the very least, he'd say, get them off campus. There's cameras in there. You don't want dancers and hookers 
walking in the dorms with cameras and all that stuff. So take them off campus. There's no way. I'm not saying Rick Pitino never knew anything about anything. I'm just saying he's. there's no way he knew that was happening in that dorm named after his brother and late brother-in-law because he would have put a stop to that or at the very least moved it. Um, with this, there's just no way a sober Bob Huggins knows he's live on radio and he says what he said. That That is not what happened here. So then you're just trying to figure out well, well, what actually led to him saying that. And I don't know that it's clear, but the options I laid out are the only ones that make sense to me. Yeah. And when he's doing this, I mean, Bob Huggins is also on the radio with, uh, you know, a, a, a longtime media member in that area that he has known for decades. And he and, and one of his oldest assistants, I believe. And so the company that he is keeping in the course of this as well is also putting him in a position, whether he knows he's live on the radio or not, where he clearly feels extremely casual and comfortable to, to openly speak his mind. And in doing so, in doing so, like the whole thing's, uh, frankly, it's, it's obviously disgusting. Um, you know, the way the radio uh, broadcast, the guys on the other end started laughing with all this. Uh, um, well, I can tell you, like, it, 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 a, go ahead. in a similar deal, mm-hmm. like, I grew up in Mississippi. It, it, it might not surprise you to hear that um, I grew up around the N-word. It, it was everywhere. And every once in a while, you know, I'll be with my old high school buddies. Not often. Like people I knew in high school. And I'll be around them and it'll be in their comfortable setting. And that word will still come up. And like I couldn't imagine saying that. It, it, it's weird when you hear a white person say it. But every because like is just these old, they feel like because I, I don't know what they feel like. I just let it go and I need to just, you know, just keep it moving. But it feels like, oh, 30 years ago in the same circle that were might get tossed around by me. So I can still say it in 2023, at least around these people I've known forever. That felt like maybe what Bob was doing there that he fell into a, a place of comfort with people he's known for a long time. And I, I take it a step further. I bet you that's not the first time he's ever used that word with those people. Um, not exactly the largest leap of logic there on that, obviously. And the fact that that is the case is why people were calling for Huggins to be fired to begin with, because if he's really believing this and saying these things, is that someone that you want as, you know, your most prominent uh, public employee in that state, uh, leading, you know, your basketball program and, and everything that comes with all of that. And the, the leaders at West Virginia decided we aren't going to fire him. I mean, I was told on Tuesday that that was a highly unlikely outcome because a lot of the people in power there did not seek to have that be the ending here. And they wanted to work their way around uh, something different. And they came to that. I mean, three games is really light to me. Strangely enough, West Virginia, I believe, was the first power conference team to release its schedule this offseason. So we already like there's many schools. Almost every school at this point has not released its non-conference schedule. West Virginia actually already has. So we already know the games he's going to miss. And wouldn't you be shocked to learn these aren't exactly the most high consequence games and they're all at home. Missouri State, Monmouth and Jacksonville State will not see Huggins on the sideline, but... Mm -mm 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 -mm. He'll be back in time, wouldn't you know it, for the Fort Myers tip-off where West Virginia will either play Wisconsin or SMU in the first game, and then two days later down in sunny Fort Myers, Florida, will play the other team there before they get rolling with the rest of their schedule, including games against the likes of St. John's, the Backyard Brawl against Pitt. There's a a high-profile game against UMass still in there, Ohio State as well. So 
three games does feel light. Everything else attached to the punishment, I actually find to be uh, the most important. And I think more than symbolic, we have a lot of tangible action here. And I do think that is important. Huggins, uh, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that he wrote this, this statement. Um, I would like to believe that part of him genuinely believes this. Hopefully. I mean, hopefully so. Like, don't let this be an empty action. Don't let these be empty words. Like, actually try and have some sort of personal growth at this stage of your life and open your mind to this kind of stuff. Hopefully that does wind up happening, um, which circles me back to my question from you off the top. Mm-hmm. Are you satisfied with everything in totality of what West Virginia has done here and how it handled the situation? Well, let me repackage that because I don't know that I need to be satisfied. And more um, that's fair. honestly, I, I don't know what would satisfy me. I'm conflicted on this. It's interesting, by the way. I write this column the other day, and um, I tweet it. And, I mean, you can go back through my mentions over the past 48 hours or whatever. Every once in a while, you'll get a response from somebody saying, oh, here we are, woke media, woke media trying to cancel a Hall of Fame coach because he said a bad word on radio. Oh, woke media. Hey, hey, GP, you talk a lot publicly, too. You want to go fire Bob Huggins, that's fine, but we'll be waiting for you to slip up next, right? A lot of that stuff, a lot of that stuff. Here's the thing. Go read the column. Go listen to every word I've said about this over the past few days on radio or on my show. Go read any tweet. You know what you'll never find anywhere? Me writing or saying, I think West Virginia should fire Bob Huggins. I never wrote it. I never said it because I'm conflicted on this. You mentioned he works at West Virginia and he's a West Virginia icon. That's all true. Um, I do think that plays a role in him not being fired where he works. Mm -hmm. If he was the UCLA coach, he would not survive this. Nope. If he was the the second year coach at West Virginia, he wouldn't survive this. Yeah. No, no. Right. So some of it is who he is, how much he means to that campus and state and where he works. That goes without saying. But I will, if I'm being completely honest, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm stating up front, I don't know. I'd like to think I have answers for everything. On this one, I'm conflicted on it. Because Dan Walken did write a column that said Bob Huggins should be fired. And he made some good points. The point, one of the points Dan made was that, and he, of course, is a columnist at USA Today. He said, think about this in any other setting. You're the president of Disney, Apple, Coca-Cola, Nike, Chevrolet. Doesn't matter. You go on radio, you say that word twice, you're done. Do you, first off, let me ask you, do you agree with the premise? Not in every single scenario, but in many scenarios, yes, of course. Okay. So Walken's point is, so why is a basketball coach given more leeway? Like, it, it, you're telling me the, the third in charge at Apple would be fired in five minutes if they went on live radio and said that word twice. But the West Virginia basketball coach can, can, can continue to do his job. Dan said that's crazy, and I get that. When you frame it strictly that way, it makes total sense to me. Here's the other side of it, though. Chris Beard is the head coach at the University of Mississippi less than a year after allegedly beating up a woman. That's the profession. Bob Huggins can't work in that profession. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't one thing doesn't justify the other. I agree, I agree, but I'm just telling you. Like, how do you balance those those things? Um, Dave Chappelle, in his most recent special, had a bit on this about the baby. Do you have you seen? Do you know what I'm talking about? No. Okay, he's a rapper, and he's always he's always up to something. The baby is. Anyway, the point Dave Chappelle made is that once upon a time in, I believe, North Carolina, the baby like actually shot a guy in Walmart, shot and killed him, shot and killed him at inside of a Walmart. And as Chappelle jokes, and it did nothing to hurt his career, not a thing, didn't damage him in any way whatsoever. Then several years later, he went on stage at a festival, said a bunch of wild anti-gay stuff, and like he was out. Some people won't work with him anymore. He had to cancel shows, the whole thing. So the point Chappelle was making is like, are we really at a point where saying a word is worse than killing a person or allegedly beating up a person? And he just sort of leaves it there and lets everybody take it wherever they want to take it. But I, I do think it's a reasonable point to make. Let me be clear. If West Virginia would have fired Bob Huggins, I would not have been the guy writing the column saying, I can't believe they did this. How do you end a man's Hall of Fame career over two terrible words on radio on a random Monday in May? That, I, I, if West Virginia would have fired Bob Huggins, I would have said West Virginia fired Bob Huggins, and I understand why. But it's not clear to me that he had to be fired for this if only because people who do different but also bad things, um, in this sport at least, sometimes either keep their jobs or even if they lose them, they get to get another one. I just don't know. I, I am uncomfortable trying to have super strong opinions about stuff like that because I don't even know how I feel about it. Mm. Yeah, this is not an easy situation. Uh, and had he been fired, I think there would have been plenty of justification for it. You do have what happens now is that you do have two extremely vocal dissenting opinions on this stuff before any verdict has been rendered. You know, you've got uh, people on one side of it that are that are pre outraged to a decision that hasn't even come. Like people were reacting as though Bob Huggins had already been fired and want to go after. I won't even use the trite played out completely lost all meaning. If you use, you know, any of those phrases, it's just you're exposing yourself to be, to be relatively shallow minded, uh, frankly. And then on the other side of it, it's, it's, you know, before we have any full review in, he's out right now, yesterday, immediately let's go. West Virginia moved quickly, but did, th- but did so thoroughly and when we see the totality of this, to me, I, I think this falls short of, of, of the punishment that he should have been serving. I don't think a three-game suspension really amounts to all that much. The stuff that is more important, I will repeat myself, everything else connected to this, um, I think, is the more important thing. And by the way, like West Virginia and Huggins now have to, in making this decision, like they also live with this throughout all of next season, which I do believe will be his last season. I think this is going to be his final season on the job at West Virginia. And every time he goes into certainly a hostile environment on the road in that conference, like this is going to be part of it. And, and, and oh, by the way, that's not, I'm, I'm not saying that it's like, oh, let's, let's wait and watch. No, that actually, you know, really sets it up for some more hideous stuff, frankly, that, that kind of 
poisons the environment uh, and can make West Virginia look bad even months after the fact with all of this stuff. So I look forward to seeing how Bob Huggins comes out and speaks on this topic multiple times, discloses, you know, the sensitivity training he's gone through and try and make this story as best as it possibly can be on the other side of it, uh, because he really did expose a, a side of him that was uh, appalling. And we should have no, no, there should be no tolerating any of this to any level in not firing him or not having him resign. There is some level of, of, of toleration to that, but I do think that West Virginia did a lot here to try and advance the issue to make sure something like this doesn't happen again within its own university's borders and certainly requiring every single person employed in the athletics department to undergo training moving forward, I think is a very important next step. Yeah. And it should be said, and I know people don't like this, but like part of the punishment is that, you know, in that apology that he released, he said, I'm embarrassed. He said a lot of things, but um, among them, he said, I'm embarrassed. The embarrassment is part of the pup is part of the punishment. Like you have now painted yourself in a way that is obviously not good. And you got to walk around with that forever. It was a press conference with Dana White, you know, after that video surfaced of him putting his hands on his wife, UFC president. And he, he made the point. He's like, part of my punishment is that this is now who I you this. That's now how you see me. I don't want to be seen like that. But I understand that's the way you're going to see me now. And I got to walk around with that the rest of my life. And now Bob Huggins has to walk around with this the rest of his life. I'm not saying and that's enough. It should be no more. I'm not here to debate what the punishment should have been, because, again, I'm unsure. I don't know. It's complicated. But that is that whatever the actual punishment is, that is in addition to it. That's something else. Bob Huggins is like, you know, we go on these podcasts and good Jeff Goodman, like he always wants to ask you who you would like to have a beer with. Right. And most people's answers. He, he loves he, Goodman loves to ask you who would you what coach would you like to have a beer with? And 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 the uh, answer is often Bob Huggins. I bet next time somebody asks that question, you you'll hesitate before you say Bob Huggins, right? Not you. I've never answered Bob Huggins to that question. I'm also not a beer drinker. I know. I hear what you're saying. But you get the point. You get you get the point. Who would you like to have a drink with? Everybody's like, oh, Hugs is the best. People will be hesitant to say Hugs is the best. Oh, because of this, Uh, he he's 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 changed the way people look at him by using the language that he used. And in addition to the three games and the $1 million and the sensitivity training and all of that stuff, um, that, that is punishment as well. He's going to have to live with this for the rest of his and life. He's not, this is the he's, way- not, he's not the only one, by the way. You know, Greg McDermott at Creighton found himself mired in controversy yeah. for a different way, but certainly uh, using the wrong uh, terminology, he wound up keeping his job there. There have been coaches in across sports that have lost their jobs and coaches that haven't. So anyone that wants to paint this with a broad brush and saying that we live in cancel culture, well, that's not that's not true because we have plenty of examples where ha- that hasn't been the case. I don't know if you could hear that. Sorry, there was a car that just peeled out right outside my window there. I don't know if the mic picked that up or not, but that was loud. Oh, it so definitely far. did. Okay, there we go. And there have been cases where people have also been held accountable for their words and their actions there. So it's it's a case-by-case circumstance uh, and here, Huggins is going to hold on to his job uh, for what I expect to be only one more season. 
All right, let's move on. Hunter Dickinson finally explained explained publicly why he decided to leave Michigan. We're going to get into that next. But first, a word from our partners. So Hunter Dickinson, as if he listened to our podcast after he committed to Kansas, because on that podcast, I asked you, like, has he ever explained why he left Michigan? Like, what is the explanation for him? Like with most people, it's like, well, playing time or whatever. It's like this is an all-American centerpiece of the University of Michigan. Why did he leave the University of Michigan? And I think you told me he had not ever gotten into that, or at least you hadn't seen it. I had not seen it either. Um, on a podcast, um, I guess it was last night, yesterday at some point, he did finally explain why he decided to leave Michigan. Long story, not so long. He indicated, suggested it was about money. Said he made less than $100,000 over the past year at Michigan in name, image, and likeness. Here's the quote exactly. The people hating on me would leave their job right now for a $10,000 increase. I got at Michigan less than six figures. I got less than six figures at Michigan for the year. End quote. Mm -hmm. Deadleg, do you find Hunter Dickinson's explanation compelling or not so much? I mean, to a certain extent, sure. It is compelling. It's not surprising. Um, I'm not going to give you the player. But whenever you hear about these NIL deals, always assume that they are inflated. Always. And I mean always. There's someone who will be picked. I'm just going to go broad here. Uh, There's someone that will go in the first round of this year's NBA draft. And I spoke with, shy of speaking with the actual player, and no, this was not the player's coach. It was a very, very good source on this. You might, you might think that this player that's going to be picked in the first round would have commanded, you know, anywhere between say twenty thousand to maybe even two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand dollars in NIL money last season. And the fact of the matter is, and the person telling me this like has nothing really much to gain from it, but you know, they shared it, uh, and they shared it on background, so I'm not going to reveal who it is. The player made five thousand dollars in NIL money last season. Five thousand. Well, I was like, well, was that Taylor Hendricks at UCF, a nothing recruit who was at Central was Florida? And that's the only okay, one. Okay, but I'm just saying not. it was not. But I'm just saying, if you told me it was that person, a projected first round pick only made five thousand dollars. Well, that's because someone that a, you think would make more. So my, okay. point, I only bring that up to say NIL, which is out there, thankfully, and it's still an evolving space. When you hear these figures get tossed around. Just know that many times the figure that gets either reported, gossiped about, rumored about, oftentimes will be inflated. It can be inflated by 10%. It could be inflated by 80%. Um, so I'm not surprised to hear this from Dickinson at all. At all. I'm not. Uh, to say that it also had an impact on his decision to transfer, not surprised whatsoever. Hunter Dickinson uh, you know, may well see the writing on the wall, and though he will try his damnedest to be able to make a really, really good living uh, playing the sport for the next 10, 15 years, he may realize that, hey, listen, maybe I will have a certain cap on my revenue and I'm going to try and maximize this at the college level as best I can. And I know how much I can make at Michigan. If I decide to get a fresh start, go somewhere else, maybe I expand my game, improve my NBA prospects. And in the process, oh, by the way, I can make myself an extra 50, 100, 200, $300,000. Why would I not do that? I don't fault him in the slightest for making that decision. Okay. First, his premise is wrong. His point is accurate, the point he was trying to make, but he used the wrong number. The people hating on me would change jobs for a $10,000 increase? That's just not true. Some people would, not everybody. Would you change jobs for $10,000? 
Would you that, 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 let, me, let, me, let me put it another way. Let me put it another way. Would you take a job you don't want as much as the one you have right now for $10,000? Do we know? No, I would not. Do we know that's true with Hunter Dickinson? Do we know what, what's true? That he doesn't want the one, the, what you just laid out. It sounded like you were saying he wouldn't want Kansas as much as he wanted Michigan. No, no, no. That's not what I mean. But my point is simple. Um, the idea that anybody would would change jobs for $10,000 is just fundamentally untrue. I'm telling you right now, I would not take a job. I, I don't, I wouldn't prefer to this job for $10,000. I just would. In fact, I, never mind. I'll just say that I would not change jobs simply for an extra $10,000. It would have for me to change jobs for $10,000. It would have to be a job that I already want to take anyway. And I'm just getting an extra $10,000 out of it now. So, so the, the number he used, that's not right, but let me put it another way. Let's say just for the sake of the conversation, he's on record less than a hundred thousand at Michigan. Let's call it 90. All right. Let's call it $90,000. I talked to somebody who is pretty plugged in at Kansas who who told me it's all third-hand information i'm not really sure but he would guess at kansas a million bucks a million dollars could be more could be less but a million bucks that feels about right to me so here's the question would anybody change jobs if they could multiply their salary by 11 now we're talking. I can see a world in which that's possible. Yes. Hey, I like working with you. I hope you like working with me. I'm confident that if somebody said, Norlander, what do you make? And you told them a number and they said, let's multiply it by 11. You would, you would leave quickly. I don't have the sound on my board to, to respond. (laughs) That's correct. That's correct. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to have, a significant pay increase to that level. If anyone's out there, I'm, I'm willing to, I'm willing to have it if it's out there. Yeah. I love every job I have. I ain't looking for any other ones, but if somebody, if, but if my contract was about to expire and somebody said, what are you making now? And I told them and they said, let's multiply it by 11. I would have to change jobs. And when put that way, not only do I understand why Hunter Dickinson left, he'd be crazy not to financially irresponsible not to do it because we ain't talking about Brandon Miller or any other projected lottery pick. We're talking about a guy who it isn't crystal clear. He'll play in the NBA. And so it is possible. The most money he'll ever make playing basketball will be made while he's playing college basketball. And if you can make a million dollars at one place, Less than 100000 at the other, it would be financially irresponsible to not go to the other place. There's not a coach in America outside of maybe Mark Few <laughs> who wouldn't change jobs if you said we're going to multiply your salary by 11. 11. So I don't know why yeah. would question why. I don't know if he's making a million, by the way. I feel like that number might be high. That's just me. Okay. But, but the 90000 number... The ninety thousand number might be high too. It's just one I literally yeah. just made. Up. Even even if he went from eighty to four fifty, like it's the same. Financially irresponsible not to Correct. do that. Yeah. Agreed. So like, what are we even talking about? What is the what argument are we talking about here? Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Like like, you, let's say you make let's say you make a million this year, and he has another year of eligibility left, doesn't he? 
He's been uh, a three-year college uh, yes, basketball player. Yes, he does. He does. Yeah. yeah. So he's got two years. So let's say at Michigan, you could make a little less than 200000 over two years. Or at Kansas, you could make a little less than $2 million. You could pay off your parents' house. I don't know his family situation, but you could pay off your parents' house. You could buy your own house. You could invest. You, you, whatever. It would be financially irresponsible for him to not make a move under those circumstances. So, again, not only do I understand it, I think it, I think it'd be crazy not to do it. And if you're Michigan, you just got to – if I'm Juwan Howard, I'm not bothered by that quote as much as I'm sending it to every one of my boosters. This is, this is the world we're living in now. You guys want to help me keep our All-Americans or not? Because if you don't, this is what's going to happen every year. Mm, yeah, that's the subtext to it. Interesting. Again, Hunter Dickinson can speak as often as he wants about his decision here because every time he seems to, he seems to just keeps that content machine moving, man. I, I, I want to see, aside from all of that, I want to see how how good he can become on top of what he was because in doing this yes and going to kansas there is going to be a lot of attention on him and this comes this is part of it like him speaking out on this hey nigel pack we knew the number and he you know what i'd say he pretty much close to lived up to that that he's got year two coming up by the way of that two-year contract there he helped you get a final four money well spent yes and dickinson is uh and playing at kansas yes you you open yourself up to uh to plenty of attention and, and, and praise or criticism, depending on how you play. I try to not get caught up in the comment section, but it just like actually bothers me when What's people up? think you say something that you didn't actually say. Like a little bit like the whole Bob Huggins thing. I got all these people in my mentions talking about, oh, uh, woke liberal GP wants to fire Bob Huggins. Never said it. Never wrote it. Never said they should do it. Never wrote that. I The, the way I ended the column is by saying... Bob Huggins has now put himself in jeopardy of maybe losing his job. Never weighed in intentionally, never weighed in one way or the other on whether he should lose his job or not lose his job because I'm, I'm conflicted on it. It's, it's, that's a tough one for me. And before I'm out there writing, this man I've known for 20 years and an icon of the sport should never coach again, I want to make sure that's actually the way I feel and I, I was conflicted on it. Different point, but similar thing. I got people in the comments now saying $10,000 would, you know, if you make $20,000 a year, you would change jobs for $10,000 more. Okay. But that's not what I said. I didn't say nobody would, would change jobs for $10,000. Some people would. I said, not everybody would. Hunter Dickinson said the people hating on me would leave their job right now for a $10,000 increase. I promise you there's somebody hating on him who would not leave their job for a $10,000 increase. I'm taking the quote, as, it's, as it was uh, presented and saying, technically, that's not true. What he should have said is, if somebody offered you 10 times what you're making now, you would change jobs because that is true. I recognize some people would change jobs for 10,000. I'm just saying Hunter Dickinson said everybody who's hating on him would do it for 10,000. And that's just not correct. Carry on. That's pretty much all I got. John Wooden, by the way, his salary... $40,500 in his final year in 1975. He could have commanded a large one. He did not ask for a $10,000 raise, although UCLA should have given it to him. You know who also coached with John Wooden? That's right. Danny Crum. Some sad news from earlier in the week. Norlander. Denny Crum, 
Louisville's former Hall of Fame coach who guided the Cardinals to two national championships, died at the age of 86. Yes, I'm the one of us who grew up on the Metro Conference, but you wrote the obit, so I'll let you take it. I mean, do I need to take it? You did grow up on the Metro. You grew up. I will tell you this. Okay. Denny Crum has been a figure in my life for as long as I can remember. He was the first coach that I could have hated because of the Memphis State Louisville rivalry. There. Okay. I mean, in the way that you hate, like there are Lakers fans who hate the Raymond it. Green. You, you, I, I, I don't know Denny Crum. I've been around him. I don't know him. I have no, at this age, I have no ill feelings about him at all. But like mm-hmm. seven-year-old Gary Parrish, nine-year-old Gary Parrish, 12-year-old Gary Parrish, hated Denny Crum. There were bumper stickers in Memphis in that time. Crum is a bum. <laughs> you would actually see that on cars. I think you, you, is should, I think you once had that on your laptop, actually. I was the Gus Harris for Lovers guy. You were the crumb is a bum guy on your laptop. Yeah. The crumb is a bum. That was a bumper sticker. Jack Eaton, who used to be the voice of the Tigers, famously said one time, if the Soviets were playing Louisville, I'd have to root for the Soviets. That's how intense that rivalry was. So I had grew up hating Denny Crumb. But obviously, you know, then you grow out of that nonsense and you just respect him as one of the all time great college basketball coaches, two national championships. And I I was lucky enough that every once in a while in my career, I've had these moments where I go, this is wild. Like if you would have told eight year old me, this would be where I'm at right now. This is wild. And one of those moments for me, several years back, I'm speaking at a coaching clinic out in California. Who said and that? the premise, eh, probably Pete Thamel. <laughs> it's probably Pete. Probably, Pete probably turned him down and then they called me. That would make sense. Um, and it was like, uh, hey, coaches and relationships with the media. And so there was a panel. I think it was four of us. I don't remember who the other media member was, but it might have been Jeff Goodman. But the two coaches. Should have been Pete Thamel and Jeff Goodman, but it was, I think it was me and Goodman. It could have been, I don't know. But the coaches were, I believe, Jim Herrick and Denny Crum. So I'm sitting on a stage at a table with Denny Crum. And I was like, this is the wildest thing. I grew up with like neighbors who had Crum is a bum bumper stickers. And now I'm sitting here. The round table, didn't you? I don't think I ever brought it up to uh, Denny. But I won't bore you with the long story, but uh, it, it was just one of those moments for me where like, this is cool. You know, that guy, I don't remember basketball without that guy being a part of it. I don't remember the world without that guy being a part of it. And now I'm sitting, I'm sitting here with it. It's kind of a cool, like, I, I don't think I actually called my parents, but like I, that, that went through my head, like, boy, my parents would really probably like a picture of this, their son sitting on stage with Denny Crump. That's good stuff, GP. Uh, he won almost 70% of his games at Louisville. He won 675 out of his 970 games, won the national title in 1980, 1986, carried with him uh, you know, just a couple novels worth uh, of stories because he played for Wooden, then he coached with Wooden, coached Lou Alcindor you know, uh, to, uh, on the bench there, um, to helping the UCLA dynasty at its absolute peak and then in 71, 
uh, he he almost does the reverse wooden in that Crum was born and raised in California, went to school in California, uh, coached in California, and then he goes to the Midwest uh, slash South, however you want to designate Louisville in general, and builds up his legacy there. Wooden, of course, from Indiana, played at Purdue, goes out to the West Coast and winds up building up his legacy there. And we're all familiar on this podcast, just of what we think about John Wooden and his standing in that program's history, of course. And ironically, as I noted in the obit, they both stopped coaching at the age of 64, but under very different circumstances. John Wooden, and you and I were not there, but I'm going off of what I've read over the years. It basically lands out of the blue. You know, there was no one uh, dropping. I was, I was there. You were very much not there. Um, you were only like, you were like seven at that point, so I don't think you were there. So, um, yeah, I, I had a, I had a big wheel. It had a crumb as a bum bumper sticker, mm. and I pedaled it out to California. Yeah, okay, that's actually not where this happened. Nineteen seventy-five, Final Four took place. Trivia time. What city? Uh-huh. The nineteen seventy-five Final Four. Nineteen seventy-five Final Four. Got wrapped up. Actually, you were, you were Is right. It, was, it, was that the one in Loyal, Massachusetts? It was San Diego, California. So oh, you were right. Your blind guess was correct. Anyway. Yeah, I pedaled Wooden, to San Diego. Wooden beats Crumbs Cardinals in the semis. And then after that game, he says, oh, by the way, one day there's a guy. There's a guy. His name's Cronin. He's going to coach this program one day, and you're not going to believe it. That's the part that doesn't get reported. But the other part people is that don't, now, people don't remember that part. They don't remember that part. He said, there's this guy, Cronin. And listen, he's going to make me look like a JV coach. All right. Mm-hmm. He also announces, all right, after the title game, that's going to be it for me. Wooden retires at 64 years old of his own, of his own accord and at the peak of his powers, essentially. That didn't happen for Crum. Crum was effectively pushed out of the job because the final couple of years of his tenure there at Louisville were the worst of his of his 30-year run. But as I noted in the obituary, and kind of speaks to why, you know, this is such a, a sad week for college basketball and obviously those around that, uh, that city and that community, the greatest coach in the history of that program just died. And he's going to almost certainly always be remembered as that. His name is on the court. That's almost certainly never going to change. You know, he spent his entire head coaching career in one place, won two national championships, took him to six Final Fours. It's because of Denny Crum that Louisville, without a doubt, is one of the 10 best programs in the history of the sport. And I saw Bomani Jones tweet that it's Louisville and maybe not Georgetown that actually has the case to be the program in men's college basketball in the 1980s. Um, Louisville did win two titles there. Georgetown uh, had the one obviously in 80 in 84 uh, or 85. And so 84, 85, Villanova's 85 beat Georgetown. Georgetown won 84 NC state 83 UNC 82, um, which I thought was interesting. I, I, I wanted to, to actually, as someone who grew up on the Metro, but also has spoken frequently about uh, Big John and Georgetown. Um, again, you've got like 13 years on me at this point, so your memories are a little more clear on this. Was Louisville the program of the 80s, or do you think it was Georgetown? Because I, I think they could have a 1A, 1B, but if you had to lean one way or the other, which one would you go with? Georgetown just, like, and I don't have the, I don't have the numbers in front of me, 
So this, I'm not making a numbers argument. I'm just making a, my memory of it was like Georgetown was just a monster of a program. And I, I wonder how much of that was just the physical presence of Patrick Ewing and Big John. Like both of these guys are just big guys. And you know, it, it, and they were uh, they 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 seemed physically overwhelming as a basketball program. I was much closer to the Louisville stuff because it was Memphis State and Louisville battling in the Metro. Like that, like it's a joke, but like I grew up on Memphis State and Louisville. You grew basketball. up on the Metro, man. I, know. I didn't grow up on Celtics Lakers. I grew up on Memphis Louisville, and Denny Crum was obviously a big part of that. And Memphis, you know, Memphis is always considered, at least always in those years, eighties, nineties. You know, they left conferences then came back together all that stuff. But Memphis always considered Louisville its rival, but I don't know that Louisville ever considered Memphis its peer because it wasn't. Louisville was obviously the superior program. And if not the best program of the 80s, certainly, certainly one of them. I, I remember Georgetown being the bigger, badder thing, but I remember Louisville breaking my childhood heart an awful lot. Georgetown made the Final Four in 82, 84, 85 in the 80s. Uh, Louisville made it there in 80, 82, 83, 86. So it, it won more national championships and had more final fours. I don't have the, the total win tallies there. It could be 1A, 1B. Um, but I do think that Crum's greatness, his impact, the way that he lifted up Louisville. Oh, by the way, the Kentucky-Louisville rivalry was resuscitated in the 80s after going, what, like almost 30 years without being played. Um and, and, you know, planted the seeds for that to be, you know, uh, argue, Kentucky Louisville fans maintain that's the, the, the most, you know, fiercest rivalry in the sport. Uh, they only play once a year and, and all this stuff. And it's literally state law that they play and all that. But a lot it of this was stuff- when it was Patino and Calipari. I think it was the best. Now, you know, with Calipari, Kenny Payne, it doesn't feel... Like I know, but just, thing. you know, kind of all encompassing, you know, yeah. And a year by year, but the point I'm making here is that Denny crumb, uh, what he did was, was incredible and it did end in a way that wasn't the best, but you know, remembered for being just an absolute gentleman. He went to the tournament in 23 out of 30 years. And a lot of those were before we had 64 teams in the tournament and uh, Naismith Memorial Hall of Famer. So rest in peace, Denny Crum. Uh, he's certainly one of the best coaches of all time. And, you know, on the relative short list, I think there's, what, 12, 13 of them total of, of people in the men's college basketball arena that has multiple national championships to his name. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Hawk. Shouts to Larnell. Thank you guys once again watching, listening to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Five stars, nice reviews. There's more of us than there are of them. Met a man last night at my son's baseball game. He's in town from uh, Houston visiting some friends. And the friends, he was, or yeah, actually family members. And uh, the fan. The family members who he was coming to visit, like, are friends of ours. And so I met this man. Literally, first thing he said to me, even before his name, GP, there's more of us than there are. Oh, man. Wow. Did you know you were meeting this man? Just you didn't know who this guy was? I did not know him, but I was... T- 
told, hey, um, you know, so-and-so's friend is uh, listens to the podcast, so can I introduce you to him? That type of thing. I said, of course. Of course. My little guy's already hit a home run. All I right. can talk to people now. Yeah, there you a go. A legit home run. All the way to the fence home run. That's Not the, playing that's around what, anymore. That's what a home run is. I mean, we can go yeah, inside. Yeah, but the that ain't... Oh, yeah. You get that that yeah, needs like, to qualify. That's an inside the parker. Yeah, that's that's a different one. Yeah. Six year old baseball. You got six year olds out there calling everything a home run. <laughs> uh, my little guy tried to claim one earlier in the year. I was like, buddy, I ain't trying to break your heart, but that's a that's a single three base era. <laughs> that, that, that was not a home run. That's a single three base era. <laughs> Those little six year olds just had no idea what they were doing. They were throwing the wrong ball around like a little bunch of idiots. That was not a home run. Last night, legit home run. All right, I feel like that's enough. Ah, that sounds good. We'll talk to you again real soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>